Vincent released his debut album this summer called There Will Be Tears, which is one of my favorite new albums of the year. It is just catchy pop that honestly kind of hits me in the way that Whitney Houston I Wanna Dance With Somebody does. It is just that high energy, amazing vocals, yearning pop music that makes you wanna dance. And obviously, I'm not the only one that feels this way. As of right now today, that album has been streamed over 10 million times. And it's also worth noting that that is 10 million streams by an independent artist, right? So to celebrate this huge achievement, we wanted to reshare our conversation from January of 2020. This aired on the Luminary app when Vincent's EP came out. The EP is called The Feeling, and it has a song called Please Don't Fall In Love that I especially adored. You're gonna hear us break down that song, talking about how intentional every note, every lyric, every music choice is. And then we also talk about what the music industry expects from an artist who is both black and gay. So from The Advocate Magazine, in partnership with GLAAD, I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is LGBTQ&A with Vincent. The new EP, you co-wrote all the songs on it. Yes. All the songs are love songs, I think. Yes. Okay, Somewhat. we can say that. Yeah, we can say that. Or love adjacent. Yes. So I want to know, did you set out to do that? Like, how intentional was that? Um, It wasn't intentional at all. I plan to write about anything other than my love life. And then my love life became the focal point of the entire piece. So that was a surprise to you? Yeah. But, I mean, like, no, because I'm dramatic and it makes perfect sense to me that I would write about only my love life because I'm selfish and I get that. But so you went along with it, though, when it started happening. Oh, yeah, because I my music's honest and I want to be honest with everything that I do. So I just let it fall the way that it was supposed to. It all kind of melt, molded together as I was in the writing process of all the songs because I wrote each song with a different producer and a different writer. No song has the same producer or same writer on it. And I didn't let any of the other producers listen to the songs. How unique is that? I wanted to make sure that it was mine and no one else's because usually when people hear other things, they're like, oh, we should do that because that sounds similar. We can make like a story. And I'm like, no, no, I'm a story. Just work with me, like go along on the journey with me. And it worked out perfectly. That's interesting. Yeah. I really like that it's obvious in your songs you're singing about a guy. Yeah. It's not coded or hidden. You can drive off in his car, kiss his lips, fall asleep inside his arms. Yeah. I think like five years ago, you know, you probably couldn't use those pronouns. I never understood the reason why. My, I mean, I get it. It's very, it was very back then. It was, you just wouldn't hear it on the radio. You wouldn't see it anywhere. It wasn't acceptable as it is now. But I wanted to make sure that people understood that yes, I'm a gay man, but also these experiences happen for everyone. And yes, I say his, but you can, there are moments in all of my songs where you can switch out the words and have whatever you want to have there because it's not just for my gay fans. Of course. But I like that it's impossible to miss it. Yeah. And when you're repeating oh, it that fast. Yeah. And like That's like the chorus. I do it fast because then people have to go look at it and look it up and see what I'm saying. Oh, you intentionally do that? Yeah. Why, why would you rather someone look it up and not like hear it and understand it? The way that I have found that music fans listen to music, they only want the chorus. The verse is usually the thing they don't know. It's always like the chorus. I mean, like intense music fans like us will be like, I'm going to listen to all the words and I'm going to know all the dance moves. And when I get to the concert, I'm going to be the star. But everyone else is like, I, they know the big chorus part. So when they hear the pre-chorus, like, oh, I, I know it kind of. And they sing it in the car and they're like, and then they go look it up and it's like, oh, this is what it's about. I just thought that I had a bad ear. 
<laughs> That's why I thought I couldn't understand those lyrics. I also sing very fast. Well, I like that. I talk fast, so it's fine. But um, so is that also why like the big like please don't fall in love is so crystal clear so that people can like get it instantaneously and then sing it the next time? Of course, because when I wrote it, like hearing please don't fall in love with someone else when you left me, like I don't know, it ripped me apart at the time and I wanted that to be the the statement like I love you so much and I hope that this works out again. But if it doesn't, please don't fall in love just yet. You know, I wanted that to be the thing because that for me hits home. And I thought it would hit home in others as well. And then you created the music around it to make it hit home even more. Yeah. I I think it's amazing how intentional it is because like the myth of the pop star is like someone just like picks up a guitar, like writes a song. I think like it's so interesting how much thought is going in behind it. Every it's like a, it's it's your baby, it's your little child that you're putting out and being like, I love him and take them and be be nice to them. So it involves so much care. And we started that song on just a guitar riff, wrote the entire song on one note, the entire song, and then kind of built around it and thought, oh, this will be really nice there, and these chords sound really pretty under the bridge. But for the most part, the verse, the chorus came first, and then the rest of it was over the guitar riff. Did you write it fast? Like, like a um, like was it a song that took a we lot of labor? Whole, no, we wrote the whole song in about two hours. How unique is that? Pretty unique. Um, I wrote it with the boys of Fly by Midnight. They're a duo, and they are incredible. I was just very sad that day, and I hadn't. I have been trying to write a song for the fa- the past two days beforehand, and it was just not going well. Because every time I would try to write a song, I would get distracted. I would start my mind would wander into why my relationship failed, <laughs> and. I just couldn't get it done. And I walked in and I'm sitting with the boys and I'm like, Ugh, I just hope he doesn't fall in love with anyone else. And Justin, one of the boys goes, say it again. You know, I just hope he doesn't fall in love with anyone else. He goes, beg for it. Please don't fall in love with anyone else. And that's kind of how it. we just, we kind of get into the groove of things and we, it just worked and worked and worked and we just poured it all out. That's fascinating. I, I don't know if this is too much like in the weeds, but I think for everybody listening who has not heard the song, please don't fall in love you would think it'd be a big emotional ballad. And yet, it's a very upbeat pop song. Why make that deliberate choice? I love to go to shows and cry my eyes out and stand there, but I also want that moment of release. I don't want to be stuck in my depression the entire time. I don't want to be at a Celine Dion show and hear my heart will go on and then just be like, okay, tight, the night's over. Gonna go home and like you sit with that forever. I want to hear the heartbreaking message, go on the journey of, reliving it, getting through it, being okay at the end while dancing at the same time because I want to move around. I think dance is a great form of release. And so when I can feel it all and also move it out, that's the idea that I have with my music. So you're intentionally writing music and with the final product of the performance in mind, that yeah. you're a really big, lively performer. It's a lot of energy and you're writing music to like feed that. I see, when I write my music, I always see the stage. I always write for a live audience. Because I love, I, that's my, that's like my bread and butter. I love being in front of people and singing and seeing how the music affects them. Seeing someone in the crowd listen to Please Don't Fall In Love and crying and dancing and holding their friend is the best feeling ever. And so that's where I, I go when I write songs. Like a love song, I want to see someone kissing in the audience. I want, I've had a people propose in my show. So I want that moment of putting that emotion in them. And I think probably keeping it an upper beat song, upbeat tempo makes it just more interesting too. Of course. Than a sad lyric with a sad music. Yeah. I mean, a sad, don't, don't, did I like Adele? Like, listen, someone like you, you could sit, I could listen to that entire album, 21, yeah. for days and just cry because she's so good at that. I can sing a ballad and I can sing an up tempo, but I want to mold the two together. Of course. I want you to come to my show and feel something. Looking at the music industry itself, there are only a tiny, small handful of Black queer musicians yeah. in the mainstream. Yeah. 
Is there a feeling like the industry doesn't know what to do with someone like you? Of course. Really? I've gone to the meetings before and they listen to the music and they think this is amazing. And I'm, and I'm super happy about it. And then they see me and they go, oh, how do we market this? They see you and see someone gay. Yeah. They see me, gay, blonde hair, nails done. They see a problem as opposed to an incredible marketing tool. Because first and foremost, people love the image, yes, but they love the music more than anything else. I think when I go into rooms and people are a little bit apprehensive because I am boisterous and happy and loud and I don't come in singing about how much of a struggle it is for me to be alive and I'm not sad all the time. And so for them, it's like, oh my God, how do we market this if it's not sad? How do we market this if it's not only about him being Black? And it's like, no, it's music. I promise people love it. Just come to the shows. It takes all of us queer Black men who are in the spotlight right now, banding together and being like, hi, you should see us. Because most of the bops that you listen to on the radio, we wrote. Most of the concerts that you go to, we choreographed. What you see is us. You just don't want to see us until it's time. Right. I think there's also also a weird disconnect for me because music... Like the art of music does not require a visual. It doesn't require your uh, like biography behind it for someone to appreciate and listen to a song, to yeah. hear it on the radio and jam out. I'm not wondering, is this kid black? Does he have nails? Is he blonde? Um, where'd he grow up? I'm just like, damn, the song's good. So that's like a lot of record executives making crazy assumptions. Oh, of course. But that's that's the world we live in. And unfortunately, now we do need visuals because everything needs to be seen. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, everything is a visual now. And so it is nice when, but it's a, it's a long road to get to radio from being an independent artist. So yeah. it's just, you have to really align with the image that you put out. And I put out the exact same thing I put out my music. I'm a wild, crazy person. And I'm also very romantic and I cry a lot. And I put it all, I want people to know all of this. So that way when they go to the music, it's not so far-fetched from who I am in real life. You have said that because you're Black, people expect you to sing R&B. Is there also a similar thing that because you're queer, people in the industry expect you to do like X? I guess they expect me to be a bit more flamboyant than I am. Because I think I'm pretty feminine and masculine. But I think they expect me to be a little bit more outrageous. Because apparently every gay person in the world is outrageous. And we all dress in rainbows every day of our lives. And when you do, there's nothing wrong with that. That's beautiful. And keep doing it because it needs to be seen. But for me, I when I'm on stage, I'm on stage. I'm a performer and it's a full-out show and I'm giving my all and I'm dancing and I'm being crazy and I'm being eccentric me. And when I'm off stage, I'm in my house, in my hoodie, on my couch, eating donuts, being happy. But still, I think it's that expectation of, yes, he is a queer artist, so therefore it's going to be these outlandish things and over-sexualized content. And it's like, all gay people aren't over-sexualized. How much do people in the music industry care that you did The Four, which is a TV singing competition? It's so funny. Um, I had been selling out shows before the TV show, and I was so much against it. Because I don't think that being on singing competition shows is like good for anyone's confidence or ego or mental health. Um, but before I, got, I was on the show, I couldn't get into the big sessions that I wanted to because no one knew who I was. And literally after the first episode came out, my email, my manager called me at the time. He called me and he goes, you have seven sessions with all the writers you want to write with. And I said, funny how that works. Because being seen means more than talent. Being Sometimes. seen, you're saying that being the popular. show, the, uh, the exposure, exposure gave you. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I'm not mad at it because I, it's what I needed. It's ex, it's That's the kind of exposure that you want, where you can get on television two nights a week and be seen by millions of people. You also lucked out in that you had a song that went pretty viral from mm -hmm. the show too. 
You can't buy that. No, I got extremely lucky because I was on the last episode primarily and I had a big song. And I when I told them when I got there, I said, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to sing. It's not going to be... You're not going to put rinky-dinky music behind me and it's not going to be, let's make fun of the gay the gay uh, contestant on the show. It's like, no, I'm a contestant on the show and you're going to watch me sing my ass off. With singing competitions too, I think that like when American Idol premiered in 2002, if you did well in that show, you had a pretty great chance of getting a song on the radio yeah. and like being a, a star. Yeah. And then that has changed. Yeah. Now there's a thousand singing competitions. Yeah. And so I just wonder what is the purpose? Is it simply exposure? Is it simply to grow your fan base and not have a hit single right out the gate? In my mind it was because for, for me, that's what I needed. Because I had already been on tours and I had been doing shows and it was just a moment for me to get in front of millions of people and have them hear me do what I do best. And so for me, that's what it was. But for others, it's still the same dream because... People love to be on television and being on a singing show is some people's dream. That's like the extent of it. And it's like, I just love to sing and I want to be out here singing covers. And that's a fascinating thing that I learned with these shows, which is that there are so many people in the country that have amazing voices and they're just regular people. Yeah. They're just bangers. Of course. But not everyone is like you is like pursuing it. It's, you have to want it though. It's a big difference than you can, I've, I know some amazing singers who don't sing for a living. I think that a lot of people want it, but don't want to like put in the work. Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. It's extremely hard. I went years struggling financially for housing and things like that, just to be able to pay my band members and to have a place to live and sleep and to be able to do music every day. It's not an easy road. It's not light work. If you want it, you really have to go for it. It's waking up early. It's putting in the time. It's having a really great team that works with you and believes in what you do. And so, yeah, there's work. It's it's like any job though. There's work involved. Is money still a stressor for you? Yeah. Really? What do you mean? Yeah. People think that my favorite thing is when people see that you're doing well, they're like, oh girl, let me borrow like a hundred bucks. And I'm like, sis, I'm trying to pay my rent. Like it's, is it as bad as it was five years ago? No. Am I okay right now? Yeah. But no, I'm not rolling in money. You know? I think that you also like cultivate a look. And like you, that also is like an expense. You know, like I mean, you have to look nice. You have to be presentable when you go into places. Like even here today, you have to look appropriately. It's all the, it's it's branding. It's all everything. But it's also, you should want to look nice and you should want to like be clean when you go into places. But I, I, I'm seeing there's a difference between like wearing nice jeans and wearing like trendy ass clothes that yeah. make me like second, like yeah. <laughs> shake my head. Yeah. I mean, some people have crazy looks and some people like all that and that, but that all costs money. Yeah. Sometimes you'll get a crazy look out of me, but that's usually for stage. I want to be comfortable when I walk around. I also want to be warm. Interesting. I'm not wearing a crop top in the middle of New York in, in wintertime. It's just not going to happen. But I'll give you a look here and there. Yeah. You were saying about independent artists earlier. Are you an independent artist still? I am. I am unsigned. Oh, because I was wondering if you got signed after the show. No, 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 no. Um, deals are weird, and I want to make sure that I sign the right deal. So you just came out with an EP. Is that to hopefully get the right deal? It's to get interest in it and to hear people out. Because I think what most artists misunderstand is that you have the power. They can't do anything without you. You know, and it's just TST. You can't sell music without the music. And so I've been approached by people and it just didn't feel right. And I, f- I figured, I spoke with my manager and I said, this is something that's really important to me. I want it to be right. It has to be right. I can't sign my life away and then something bad happens. So I give control away to 30 other people. I have to be in charge. 
it's going well now and let me be in charge of it, you know? Oh, because with your EP, you worked with different songwriters for every song that yeah. end up on there. Mm -hmm. And maybe you would not have been able to do that had you been with a big label. No, I would have because labels put you in a bunch of sessions and so do publishers. But I wouldn't probably have broke the people that I wanted to. They have people who write hits. And sometimes the hit makers don't get always get hits. I wrote with friends and amazing musicians that I went to college with. These people that I know have the same kind of heart and mindset for what I wanted to do. It was a specifically crafted EP where I work with people who I knew could bring out that emotion in that song. Now, would that happen with a label's help? Possibly. Would I have a better chance doing it on my own? Obviously. With your like singing voice, you are a very, very good singer. Thank you. And I, I'm laughing saying that because I hate that, that that has to be said. Girl, me too. It's a weird thing, yeah. right? Singing's gone. God bless Ariana Grande because she is saving us all. And also Billie Eilish. There is, I, I will not knock all singers because singing comes in different forms. But I understand what you're saying in the sense of like people like standing on stage like Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston and these like powerhouse vocals that you don't hear too much anymore because it's not trendy and it's not what's cool right now. But I think that's trash. And also I can't not sing because I can only sound like this. So what you're going to get is this. I love singing. I think it's the most important part of what I do. A question I like love to hear like people's responses to is like, if it's not about the good voice, like what does it take to make it? Great songs. Oh, you think it's more important to have a good song? Yeah. I mean, like, look at the track record. There are plenty of singers who aren't these memorable like powerhouse vocals that have incredible songs. You know the song. Some of my favorites, actually. Exactly. See? Some of my favorite Canadian pop stars. Exactly. You know what I mean? But it's not like... Great songs. It's not crazy singing vocals, but it's these songs that drive your heartstrings and you're like, oh, wow, I love this song. That's what makes the artist the artist because you only want to hear that person sing that song or it makes you and a thousand other people sing it along. It's the song that makes it. Like the art, the, the voice can be great. You can have a great voice and have shit songs. And then it's like, ugh. So you you grew up singing. Did you also grow up songwriting? Uh, no. I was a very shy child. <laughs> um, my dad was a singer in a gospel group, and I grew up listening to him do harmonies and singing around the house. And so that was my first love. I was like, I love to sing, but I'm never going to sing for people because I'm terrified. And then my dad and my mom had me join a boy choir in Philadelphia. And I sang a solo for the first time, and the whole room got quiet. And I said, if I can do that, then maybe this is what I should be doing. And it felt like, my body was on fire and I was flying and it felt, it was the best feeling I'd ever found in my entire life. And then I listened to Joni Mitchell and I said, oh, this is, she wrote all these songs and she did it by herself. She sits in her house and she writes these amazing things from her heart. Maybe I should give that a try. And the first song I wrote was about my dog. <laughs> it was not great, but how old were you? I was probably seven or eight. Can and, you sing it for me? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't remember it, but it's like, I will always love you. And it's like about myself. It was like a like it was a very strange time in my life, but I was very proud of that song. And my mom cried and I was like, oh, okay. I love that. I love that you can feel that. And she's also my mother and has to love me. Um, but it inspired me, Joni Mitchell, and then I listened to Robin. And I was like, this is ugh. And then you hear Bjork, and then you hear I was big on women singer-songwriters because men didn't have great voices to me. I was like, no, the women got it. And I found Ingrid Michaelson and Regina Spector and Sarah Bareilles, boys to men who write a lot of their songs, was one of the groups. And then Brian McKnight, and I started getting more into Mariah Carey and just finding out that she is one of the greatest songwriters of all time. 16 of her 17 number ones, she wrote. 
No one knows that because she has an amazing voice. But Mariah Carey is a badass songwriter. Is that also just like sexism? Like we don't like oh, to celebrate her? She's a beautiful, light-skinned woman because she is black. She's half black. No one knows that either. She is a beautiful girl. So of course she couldn't write and sing these songs. That's just too much talent. But that's not the truth. She's probably one of the most amazing musicians on the planet. You named a big, uh, wide genre of musicians. Yeah. You like listen across genres, mm-hmm. it sounds like. That also helps because I went to Berkeley in Boston, Berkeley College of Music in Boston, and I met people from all over the world. Musicians from India and Pakistan and Malaysia. And they would all, we would all sit in a room and just sing songs to each other and write. And that was a very pivotal moment in my career and in my personal life, finding out that there was so much more to be said in so many different languages and there were different ways to say it in different cultures that love means different things in them for different people. And so that was a big thing for me. And it opened my musical mind as well. Berkeley is a, like a famous school. Yeah. Uh, you, you were there with Betty who? Right? She's my best friend, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. It's so funny to see that, um, like, you know, like two people who are like separate in my mind, yeah. like, were like sitting in dorm rooms together. It's so strange. It's, there are so many of us who went to Berkeley together. Me, Betty, Brayden Bowman, Charlie Puth, MJ Rodriguez was and is one of my great friends. We went to college for all four years. It's just, it's wild to see where we all are now, but it's so cool. Yeah, it's just, people would never know that because we never talk about Berkeley because college is a strange time in everyone's life. But it's just, we became a family there. We found, I mean, musicians are emotional savages. And so all of us being together in one place, we had to bond together and have to have something to relate to. And so, yeah, I love them all. We were talking about how, we are talking about really detailed how uh, Please Don't Fall in Love, about like the crafting of that song. Is that things you learned at Berkeley? Yes and no. Uh, you learn song form at Berkeley for sure. They don't teach you what to say. And they don't teach you the chords to play. They teach you... So they teach you the, like, the science, not the art. Very much so. Because the art comes from you. That's, that's the whole idea to be honest. Because if they taught it, it would sound generic. If they taught you what to say and how to play it, it wouldn't sound like you. It would sound like it came from Berkeley. They teach you the science of all of it. They teach you the ground work. And you build on top of that. And so your life teaches you how to write the song. And that's kind of where I pull from. Gotcha. Yeah. You grew up, your father was a gospel singer, you said. Yes. Uh, was that, I think, Baptist church? Yes. But you went to Catholic school. Yes. How was queerness treated in those environments? Yeah. I mean, it's religion. And so religion is just in and of itself a stressful subject for me because there's so much good in it and beauty in it. And there's so much darkness as well. And I happened to come from a family who is just incredible. And they loved me. And I never had an issue of being myself because I was always just me and I didn't feel the need to change for anyone. And my parents kind of saw that at a young age. They were like, oh, he is him and he's not going to really listen to us if we say anything else. And they were right. But it was the most beautiful gift they could have ever given me because it allowed me to just be myself. Going to Catholic school was stressful because theology was one of the main courses that you take from kindergarten to 12th grade, which I went from Catholic school. I went to an all-boys Catholic high school. Um, I got lucky in my middle school because I was also taught by nuns who were compassionate and women, and they understood that these kids need love and not a patriarchy that is driven by rules and segregation and damning people for who they are or who they love. And so I had this one teacher, Sister Nancy, and I still talk to her today. She's a wonderful woman, but she taught me that who I am is beautiful. I'm getting emotional. Wow. Um, she... She just let me be myself and it was the best thing I could have ever had because it taught me confidence. 
Like I'm a confident bitch, but she taught me confidence. And I will never forget that she is instrumental in who I am today. That is amazing to learn that from a nun. Yeah. Just because she's a part of the religion doesn't mean she agrees with all of it. I think you're hard to press to find anybody who agrees with all of their religion too. It's a strange thing. Religion is, I think in my opinion, very toxic and very beautiful. It's, it's a, I mean, it's, it's just strange because it is this higher power feeling, but also this man-made creation. And so it just gets, it gets mumble jumbled up. And since the right has kind of monopolized religion, the left we're feels like we it. have okay. to be like anti-religion, but we're not. No. And it's like a weird thing that they've we've picked and choose things. I'm like, they got religion. Yeah. So it's like, well, it's, I don't want to be anti that. But also, no one owns religion. You know, it doesn't belong to you. We're all the same. Like, they're, we are literally all the same. No one's more special than anyone else. We're all here to do the same thing. And so it's just, I believe what I believe. And I'm not here to ask you what you think of that. I'm not here to question what you, what you believe. Believe what you want to believe. As long as you're not hurting me or anyone else, we're good. You can, because I'm not going to change your beliefs. You know what I mean? N- nor do you want to. No, I don't, have, I don't have the desire to. I'd rather just you, if you don't like someone because they're gay, that is your thing. Yeah. Human beings. With this nun who said you gain, uh, gain confidence through, yeah. um, you said earlier that you grew up a really shy kid. Is that the time in your life when you like, learn that finally? Uh, yes. Middle school was a definite, a definite uh, moment for me where I really had to find myself because, yeah, I was in the choir and I also had Sister Nancy helping me every day, but I was very gay and in a school where I think I may have been the only gay kid, it taught me that I needed to speak up for myself and to be in charge of what happened to me and what was said about me. Because at the time when you're a kid, kids are mean. And you have to be in control of that situation. You have to control the narrative. And it taught me to speak up for myself. I was just thinking it's an interesting dichotomy to have you being very gay and like dealing with that at school, but also have you in choir and like getting accolades for singing. Yeah. Like you're being sh- like uplifted in one area and like pushed down the other. It's weird. Yeah. It's because singing in school is not cool, especially for boys. It's not a cool thing. Or it wasn't when I was in middle school. Hopefully it's, it is now. But it wasn't then. And so I had to, it, it gave me confidence. My voice definitely helped me be confident because it was like, I can do this thing that I know you can't do. And the way that it makes me feel, I'm always going to feel that way even when I'm not doing it. That for me was pivotal. You said that the first time you sang a solo, you like felt chills, for lack of a better word. Yeah. I don't know the exact phrasing. Not from like my own talent, but like because it felt right. You know when you do the thing that you love so much and it's like, oh my God, this feeling of complete and utter joy. It was that. I closed my eyes, I started to sing, and the room got quiet. Now, everyone may not have stopped talking, but for me, it got quiet and I felt light and I felt free. And it was it was that moment of this. You search all your life to find... People spend years trying to find out what they want to do. I knew in that moment. It's weird, but I knew. And I told my mom, I said, I'm going to do that forever. And she was like, all right, crazy little boy. But I, I knew. It's just that feeling you get. How often do you still feel that now when you're performing? When I'm on stage, every time. It's I could be having a shit day and that's most days. But I can get on stage and it all goes away because I know what we're all there for. We're all there to be moved. You come in, people come to shows broken and sad, distressed, anxiety-ridden, and they come to feel something else. They want to leave different than when they walked in. That's my job, but it's also therapy for me because I get to sing these songs that I've gone through and they get to listen and I get to see them be all right. And in turn, that makes me feel all right. 
And that was Vincent. Once again, his new album is out. It's called There Will Be Tears. Go check it out. I think you'll love it. And then next week, we'll be back with a brand new interview with an actor who has been in roughly every single movie I've ever seen or liked. That's The First Wives Club, Legally Blonde, Milk, Titanic. I haven't seen Titanic since it came out, but I think I liked it. That actor, of course, is Victor Garber, star of stage and screen. So that's next week. Get excited. And then until then, we would greatly appreciate it if you help us to spread the word about our podcast to your friends. Just like every single person you've ever met would be a massive help to our show. We bring you episodes every week, and we greatly want to be able to continue to do that. So sharing our show with your friends in person or on social media or through email is the biggest way you can help us do that. We're brought to you by The Advocate Magazine in partnership with GLAAD. I'm Jeffrey Masters. I will see you next week. 